You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, hey, hey again, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Like I said, my name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as we get into scripture, if you have a Bible, would you turn to Matthew chapter 9? That's where we're going to be heading. If you're new or you haven't been around the last few weeks, we are actually coming to the last message of a three-week sermon series we've been in looking at our vision as a church. So who we believe that God has called us to be, what we believe he's called us to do as we follow him here in the Tri-Cities and, and engage with him in mission around the world. And so just a, a bit of a recap, on, on week number one, we looked at um, Jesus' presence. We said that we want to be a people who are marked by Jesus' presence who the world around us would look at us and say, wow, these are people who have been with, that's the only explanation, these are people who have been with Jesus. And so we want to lean into worship and prayer as a church and be people who really commune with God. That's where we started. Then, then week two, we talked about being formed in Jesus' image. Talked about formation, what it looks like to be formed out of the ideologies and the practices of the world and into Jesus' kingdom vision. And then today, we are looking at a talk that I'm actually really excited to share with you because it really is the heartbeat of our church. We're going to look at mission and what it looks like to be a people who are, who are joining God in mission, joining Jesus in his mission. So, like I said, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. Would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse 9. Here's what it says. As Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw him, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can take a seat. Okay, so right off the top, I want to ask you uh, this question. What do you think of when you hear the word mission? Like when you hear me say that, that we want to be a people joining in God's mission, what do you think of? Or what do you think of when you hear the word evangelism? Is there, is there positive thoughts and feelings that are associated with those words, or is there baggage that's associated? Like, I imagine to, to boomers in this room, maybe you hear the word evangelism, and you might think about Billy Graham crusades, where just as I am is playing in the background, and, and hundreds or thousands of people are coming to the front to give their lives to Jesus. Pretty amazing time in history. You know, another person in this room might be thinking when I say evangelist, might think of televangelists. Or even revival services. Um, I, I, I have a vivid memory growing up in the 90s in the church. And, uh, and I, my parents would often take me to revival services. And I remember coming up for prayer at one of these revival services. I grew up quite charismatic. And all these people were getting prayed for and had fallen over at the front. And so I, as a nine-year-old kid, was standing there to receive prayer. And I didn't fall over. And so then the guy at the front, he started to yell a little bit louder. And I still remember the, the smell of his breath as he was spitting on me as he was praying. And I still wasn't falling over. So at a certain moment, he just pushed me over and said, hallelujah. Maybe that's what you think of when you hear the, the word evangelist. Or maybe you think about a street preacher. I don't know if you've ever been downtown and seen someone standing on a soapbox saying, turn or burn. 
Or there's even a guy in, in Port Moody who walks around by the breweries there with a sandwich board that says, repent. If you're younger in this room, if you're a Gen Z, it's possible that you hear the word evangelism and you actually think that's bad. A recent Barna study was done that said that a huge percent of Gen Zs, even Christian Gen Zs, think that it's, the, the, that it's wrong to evangelize about your faith. That it's actually a bad thing for you to try to convert people to Christianity. But, but what, if, what if mission wasn't about yelling at people or pushing them over with your sweaty palms? <laughs> what, if, what if mission wasn't about holding signs, telling the world that they're going to hell in a handbasket? What if living on mission simply meant aligning our hearts with the heart of God and pointing people towards the greatest source of hope amidst a world that is so filled with hopelessness? Like, I don't know about you, but that is something I can get behind to be a people who are joining in Jesus' mission. So I want to take a closer look at what exactly Jesus' mission is. In in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus summarizes his mission in, in a few short words. And here's what he says. This is speaking of himself. He says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In its purest form, that's Jesus' mission. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. First, the Son of Man. What does that mean? Well, that is an Old Testament title that's used to describe the Messiah, the rescuer that God had promised to send to his people. And so Jesus is saying that he, that the promised Messiah, that God's promised rescuer had come to seek. This is a very relational term, to be in close proximity to. And then he says to save. This word is sozo in the original Greek, and it means to heal or to preserve, to rescue or to save. And so Jesus has come to seek and to sozo the lost. And when it, when, when it says lost here, it's talking about lost in a spiritual sense, those who are lost and wandering without hope. In another place in Luke's gospel, Jesus expands and deepens our understanding of what his mission is. He quotes the, the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so you could say that that Jesus came to embody, to proclaim, and to demonstrate the kingdom of God. He came to to free those who are prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, or simply put, to seek and save the lost. That's the mission of God, to restore relationship with his lost and wandering creation. Okay, so with that in mind about the vision or the the mission of Jesus, I want want to go back and look at our teaching text in Matthew chapter 9. And I want to walk through that story of Jesus calling Matthew as a bit of a case study for mission, as a window into what this seeking and saving the lost actually looks like. So let's walk through that text, but let's do it a little bit more slowly, and uh, and I want to make some observations along the way. So we'll pick up again on verse 9. It says, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. The first observation that I want to make in our text, and this is an important one, is that Jesus is the one who calls people. That Jesus is the one who saves. You know, I want you to see this. Matthew's just going about his day. He's, he's at work. He's probably working through a long line of people who are coming to pay their taxes that day. And Jesus just intercepts his path. Like as far as we can see in our text, Matthew is not the one who's seeking Jesus. Jesus is the one that's seeking Matthew. And I point that out today for a few reasons. 
Number one, because I think it's an important theological truth for us to understand that God is the one who draws people towards himself, that Jesus is the one who does the saving, not us. But secondly, because I think it also brings a lot of hope for those people in our world who feel unreachable, who would never step foot in a church, or who we've tried to talk to about faith, but it feels like we're just talking to a concrete wall. Like you just can't get through to them. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your kids or a coworker or, or a childhood friend. Can I just say, that person in your life, whoever it is, maybe you're thinking about them right now, they are not out of the reach of Jesus. Matthew probably would have been the last person that any of his friends thought would come to faith in, in Jesus. Why? Well, because, because of the kind of guy that Matthew was. He was a tax collector, which meant that he had a lot of wealth and fancy toys and a home. He didn't need anything. He also had power. He was a tax collector, which means that he probably had a re- he was in really good standing with the Romans. And so he probably had some perks that the rest of the common people in town didn't have. He was also a thief. Tax collectors were crooks. They would, they would upcharge for taxes in order to pad their pockets. And so for all those reasons and more, he was not a prime candidate for someone who would turn and follow Jesus. But Jesus says, come follow me, Matthew. And Matthew, Matthew turns. He responds. And then what's the first thing that Matthew does? Look at verse 10. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. In one of the other gospels in Luke, it's recorded, that same event is recorded and it said like this, then Matthew held a great banquet for Jesus in his house and he gathered a large crowd of tax collectors and others to eat with him. So here's observation two from our text. Matthew encounters Jesus, and immediately he throws a dinner party. (laughs) When I I think about that moment, I imagine Matthew running from tax collector booth to tax collector booth to tax collector. Remember, he didn't have a a cell phone or couldn't text message people, so he needed to go to them to tell them and invite them to dinner that night. So he's running around. Then I imagine he goes home, and he starts up the barbecue, and he gets out the finest wine, and he tries to set the table, clean the house up a little bit, get things ready. And then that night... As Matthew and his friends sit around the table with Jesus, and as they probably laugh and they talk and they eat and they drink, you know, Matthew's table became a vehicle for Jesus' mission. The kingdom of God began to break into Matthew's home as he simply gathered people around to encounter Jesus. I wonder what it would look like if we viewed our homes and our tables as an outpost for Jesus' mission. There's a book that I absolutely love. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, it was written by a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And in the book, she shares her story, her testimony, how she came to faith in Jesus. And so here's the short end of it. Basically, Rosaria Butterfield was this this far-left, radical lesbian feminist. She was also a 10-year professor at Syracuse University, and she had a degree in postmodern critical theory and literature. She was writing a book about how Bible-believing Christians were essentially the worst, like a menace and a threat to society. But as a result of the book that she was writing, she actually had to meet a few Bible-believing Christians. And so uh, she had just written this article in in, in the paper that was published in New York, uh, essentially saying um, it was a critique of a men's conference that had happened recently in a church, and it it represented everything that she was against. And so she wrote this scathing review, and and a pastor actually replied with with a really thoughtful and kind response. And so she got the response, and she thought, well, i got to meet with some of these people anyway, so I guess I'll go. And so she, so she went to this pastor's house for dinner upon his invitation. And she writes about pulling into the driveway 
and then going into the house and this encounter that she had with just such warmth and hospitality. And she talks about how they, they ate together and she came back over and over again for dinner. And, uh, and, and she writes about that experience. Now, she, uh, she, she didn't accept Jesus right away that night. She came and she sat and she was listened to. And, and the pastor and his wife, they didn't try to win Rosaria Butterfield with an, a strong apologetical argument or something like that. They just pulled up a chair at the table. They poured a glass of wine. They listened to her. And they just were themselves. And as she experienced them over time, she started to ask questions. She writes about um, eventually going to their community group, which met in their home. And, and uh, she talks about how confused she was when they would sing these, these old songs and spiritual songs. And so at first she stood quietly, and then she started to hum along. And then eventually she started to sing these truths. And, and slowly, very slowly over time, Rosaria Butterfield started to ask questions about faith. And now that was very many years ago. Now she's a committed follower of Jesus. She's married to a reformed Presbyterian pastor where together they lead a church outside of uh, Duke University. She's a mom to both biological kids and foster kids and has been radically transformed by the gospel. But it all started with a conversation around the dinner table. Henry Nouwen, he said that the role of the Christian is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. And that's what Matthew did, is he invited his tax collector buddies over for a meal. That's also what the pastor did, is he invited Butterfield over to his house for dinner. They didn't argue with her or condemn her or try to outsmart her. They pulled up a chair. They offered her a plate of food. And as she watched them and the way that they lived, and as they talked slowly, very slowly, she began to engage with Jesus. She began to encounter him. Okay, here's the third observation from our text. This is a quick one, but I think it's an important one. Religious people often don't like Jesus' evangelism strategies. We see this come up all throughout the New Testament, but look specifically at verse 12 of our text. It says, when the Pharisees, when they saw that, uh, this and they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, the Pharisees, they were always critical of Jesus. They didn't like the fact that he would allow women to be his disciples. They didn't like the fact that, that he would eat with sinners, so much so that elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus was described as a glutton and a drunk, a friend of prostitutes and sinners. And in case you didn't catch that, that was a very derogatory nickname. And I'm not going to say too, too much on this point, except that I think we need to watch for this in our own hearts. The longer we follow Jesus... The longer we're Christians, the easier it is to get critical and to allow a religious spirit to creep in. We can start to us and them people. We can start to, to, to think condescendingly about people who aren't like us, thinking of ourselves as better than them because we don't struggle with those things anymore or our story didn't involve addiction or wrestling with our sexuality. You know, also sometimes I think we can, we can start to, to treat as though people who don't know Jesus should act as though pe they're people who do. But what we see Jesus do is, is, is he's willing to sit in the mess with people. He was able to, to hold this perfect line between grace and truth. See, I think if Jesus had gone to a dinner like at Matthew's and he had come and then right off the start just said, you know what you guys need to do? You need to repent. Sell all your stuff, you sinners. The, the, the Pharisees would have had no issue with that. I think they could have gotten down with Jesus if that's why he went to these meals. But what the Pharisees couldn't stand was that Jesus would show mercy to sinners, that Jesus would sit with them, that Jesus would listen. And maybe it's important to say the Pharisees, they weren't bad people. 
They really wanted to follow God. They had just missed the whole point. They had missed the plot line. They'd missed the heart of God and missed all their religious activities. And that's why in our text, Jesus goes on to clarify God's heart and God's mission. That's the fourth observation. Look at verse 12 if it's down in front of you. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's actually a quote from Hosea, which is one of the early prophets in the Old Testament, where in the original context, the prophet Hosea was calling out God's people because they were fulfilling all the external requirements of the law. They were performing sacrifices and bringing their offerings to the temple and all the rest of it. They were doing all of their religious duties, but they were completely missing the heart of it all. They missed what arguably mattered most, which was love. Love of God and love of neighbor. Out of duty, they would come to the temple and they would do all their worship. But then through the week, they were, they were just being horrible to their neighbors, lying and stealing and leaving the poor and vulnerable to fend for themselves. They said they loved God, but their actions towards others showed that they really didn't. And so God responded to them and said, hey, just so you know, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, until you show love to your neighbors, until you show compassion to the vulnerable, to the refugee, don't come here and sing me these songs or bring these sacrifices. I don't want them. What I want is for you to show mercy. And over and over and over again throughout Scripture, we see that mercy and justice is at the very center of God's heart. He loves all people. Absolutely, he does, the rich and the poor. But all through Scripture, we see that he prioritizes the marginalized, he prioritizes those who everyone else has forgotten about, the widow and the orphan and the underprivileged. To join in the mission of God is to join in the ministry of mercy. Okay, well, what does this mean for us as a church? How does this story about the calling of Matthew and Jesus' conversation with tax collectors, how does it have anything to do with our vision for mission as a church? Well, I want to answer that in, in three parts, or sort of break it down into three categories. Joining in Jesus' mission looks like us engaging in gospel proclamation, in gospel demonstration, and then in gospel multiplication. So let me explain. First, gospel proclamation. As a church, we want to be a people who are so fluent in sharing our faith, who, who share the good news of the gospel with literally anyone who will listen. And let me be clear. This isn't something that's reserved for pastors or paid ministry staff. This isn't just something we do as we gather on Sundays. You are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are filled with God's spirit, and he has empowered you to be a witness in your sphere of influence, in your neighborhood, in your workplace or school or where you find yourself. Why does, but why does it matter? You know, maybe you hear that and you say, okay, I hear you, and I see that command, but, but like, why should I orient my life that way? Why should I join in Jesus' mission? Well, I think quite simply because life and death hangs in the balance. Jesus is clear. He is not a way that leads to life. He is the way. He is the only way. And to reject Jesus' free gift of salvation is to choose eternal separation from God. Heaven and hell is on the other side of what people do with the presentation that Jesus gives. And so it is our dream as a church that every single person in the Tri-Cities that every person in these neighborhoods would have the opportunity to hear the good news of, of the gospel. That every person in our community would hear that there is a God who loves them and died for them and wants relationship with them. And that happens through our weekend services, absolutely. And every week we, we see people are coming in and hearing the good news for the first time. But you know where, where it most commonly is going to happen? 
is when we, the ordinary people of CA Church, just live out the gospel in very ordinary ways through our life and the things that we do on a daily basis. But I recognize evangelism can be scary. Like maybe even as I say that, you're like, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. The idea of telling somebody about Jesus, especially living in a culture like, like we do, where there almost tends to be a hostility towards the Christian faith, it can feel so daunting. But let me make it really simple. All it is, is like we see Matthew do, is inviting people to our table, simply saying, come and see what I've found. Come and, come and see, come and hear about Jesus who has changed my life. The best way to engage in gospel proclamation is simply to share your story. Like, why do you follow Jesus? Why have you given your life to following him? What difference has he made for you? Just becoming fluent and talking about our own story with people. Um, I made a new friend this last summer. And uh, rather than using his real name, I'll call him Dan, just for the sake of privacy. But Dan was a waiter at a local restaurant um, that I went to. And in between Diet Coke refills and the appetizer round, we got talking. And uh, just talking about life and this and that and the other. And, and Dan shared with me that he was, he's from Alberta. And had just come a few weeks before that to, to come out to BC. It had always been a dream and he was here. But he was saying, I'm really having a hard time making friends. And that was really surprising to me because he was a super nice guy and super friendly. But I, but I just looked at him and I said, you're having a hard time making friends? I would love to be your friend. Do you want to be friends? And, uh, and he looked at me like as though I was joking. And he's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. Like, I would love to be your friend. And so I grabbed a little scrap piece of paper and I started to write my number down, 77823. And as I was writing down my number, about that far in, he asked me the question that all pastors dread someone asking them in public. He said, Sam, what do you do for work? <laughs> And so I stopped writing down my number in that moment, thinking this is probably the end of our conversation. I looked up at him and I said, I'm a pastor. I, uh, I work at a church. And he said, oh, cool. I'm not spiritual at all, but my grandma's a Christian, so I know a little bit about it. Anyway, so we, we chatted, small talked a little bit more, and, uh, and then I paid my bill and I left and didn't think too, too much of it. And then a couple nights later, um, he, he sent me a message just saying, hey, would you, would you still be willing to, to hang out? I don't know if you're serious or not, but I'd love to hang out. I said, of course I'm serious. And so we planned to, a couple nights after that to get together at, a, I just live right by the breweries in Port Moody, so just a, out on a patio there. And so as we sat there and, uh, and just had a drink together and had a pepperoni stick, I think, um, we were talking about this and that, and then, and then he asked me this question. He just said, Sam, why are you a pastor? Like, why do you follow Jesus? Why have you given him, given him your whole life? Seriously teed me up for the question everyone hopes their friends would ask. And I wasn't planning to share my faith that early on. Like, I was just getting together with a friend who had just moved here from out of town and trying to build a relationship. But since he asked, I shared. And, uh, and what I said is, I follow Jesus because I, I find him to be the most compelling person who ever lived. And I look at his teachings and the way he lived and what he did within our society and our world. And I actually buy his claim to be God. Like, I really believe he's the son of God, and I've encountered him in my And I just started to share my story. And, and, uh, and Nathan, Lit or I said his real name. That's his real name, Nathan. <laughs> the cover is blown. He, he listened. And, uh, and then we went on and talked about other things, and, and we went home. But we've, we've, we've started this relationship. And, uh, and so now we text regularly. We've met up a few times since. And, um, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's different things about his story. Where, For example, he's, he's, he's told us that he's never had a, a birthday party before. So Jorley and I are going to host his first birthday party, invite some of our friends and celebrate him. He's also never had sushi. 
Crazy, right? Because he lived in Alberta. And so we're going to take him to our favorite sushi joint. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're just, essentially what we're doing is we're just inviting Nathan into our life. He hasn't given his life to Jesus. Okay, but that was not my point for get, getting to know him. I was simply trying to create space, as Henry Nowen said, space for God to break in and bring his transformative work in his life. What would it do to our city if we saw our homes and our tables or the table at a local brewery as an outpost for gospel ministry? Like, what could it look like in your context to live out the gospel in just these ordinary ways, just making conversation with a waiter? Maybe engaging in gospel proclamation is inviting a friend to Alpha. You know, we are so, so passionate about Alpha as a church because Alpha creates this safe space in the context of hospitality, conversations around a dinner table for people to explore Jesus and, and the big questions of life. Do you know, back in 2021, as we were looking forward and, and kind of vision casting as a church, we said, hey, we would love to see 500 people go through Alpha by 2025. And at that time, we were seeing maybe 20 or 30 people come through Alpha at a time. We thought, wow, that would be a crazy thing to happen. Do you know, we're halfway between that day and 2025, and we have seen 250 guests come through Alpha to this point. Isn't that amazing? And starting this Wednesday, we have another 50, I believe, at Mariner who are signed up to do Alpha. And then we're running at Burke Mountain at Ibex Cafe. And we have, I think, five or six that are planning to do Alpha there. And so I say that to say it's, it's not too late to invite somebody. And uh, who in your world might need just a space to, to, to dialogue in a non-judgmental environment to explore faith in the person of Jesus? You can still sign up for that if you want to. Okay, that's gospel proclamation. Let's talk for a moment about gospel demonstration. As a church, we want to be a people who, who take Jesus' words seriously when he says that he desires mercy over sacrifice. That he says that caring for the poor and the vulnerable is at the very core of his mission. Can I just share some of the ways that we're doing that as a church family right now? Like, you might not know this, but we have a food pantry where every single month we're serving, I don't know, a few hundred people um, food who otherwise maybe wouldn't have food. And so we're able to do that. Many of you in this room, I'm looking around, many are involved in that team. And it's not just food that we're giving out through the food pantry. But we're, we're creating space for relationships to be formed. We're able to pray with people. We're creating space and relationship to be built. Um, earlier this year, we, we also launched the Dressing Room, which is a clothing distribution center. that um, it, it provides clothes for people who maybe otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to get clean clothes. And uh, it's, it's quite amazing. If you haven't been, you should go check that out downstairs. Like, this is like a high-end consignment store, okay? Really great, great products. Um, and so what, what that looks like is like a kid going into school, maybe in his circumstances or her circumstances, wouldn't be able to get a clean pair of shoes, a new pair of shoes going into the fall, going into school. And so we're able to provide that as a church family. Or someone coming out of a halfway house, or out of addiction, trying to go to a job interview and look professional. Well, they can come and actually get like a nice pair of clothes to wear to that. So that's gospel demonstration. That's, that's caring for people with no strings attached. Um, we also are going to be doing this, this winter again. We're going to do the winter shelter, where we open up our venue to people who don't have houses, don't have homes, to come in the, in the colder months of the winter and to stay over here at our facility. We've, we've sponsored many refugee families as a church. We actually have a, a new refugee who is, is coming in a few weeks here. Um, he's, he's just in his mid-20s, but Sonia, one of our pastors, was telling me that, that this, this guy who's coming over, he has never been in a place where he could publicly practice his faith. So he's actually never gathered with other Christians to sing and to worship and to be in communion. In a few weeks, he's going to be here doing that with us. 
which is so, so special. And so as a church, we're committed to loving and caring for refugee families. And just a note on, on that specific guy, we, we currently don't know where he's going to live. And so if you have a room or somewhere in your house where you could open up your space to let him come and stay, let us know. We would love to, to connect you with that. But we're able to do all these things as a church family because of the generosity of all of you of us. Because you step out and you use your time so generously. You use your talents, you use your, your treasure, your money so generously. Do you know as a community, as a, as a church, we give about a thousand, or sorry, about a million dollars every year to local and global missions, to caring for people, caring for the vulnerable, expanding the reach of the gospel message. Okay, lastly, I want to look at gospel multiplication. Matthew chapter 9, it, it actually doesn't say too much in our text about gospel multiplication. But if you follow the story through the rest of the book of Matthew, all the way till the end, if you get all the way to Matthew 28, Jesus ends up sending out Matthew and the other disciples to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to share the gospel message, to multiply over nations. We are called to go. Jesus says we're to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In our context, that looks like going to Coquitlam and Port Coquitlam and Port Moody, and overseas through our global partners. I want to take a moment just to share a few of the ways that we're engaging in gospel multiplication, both locally here in the Tri-Cities as well as overseas. So first, local. We, we, um, we are intentionally developing, we're intentionally multiplying leaders as a church, raising up servant-hearted leaders to lead the church with integrity and strength. And that happens in so many different ways, through youth leadership and community groups in so many different ways. But I, but I do want to specifically highlight our pastoral apprenticeship program. These are our current six pastoral apprentices. Can we give them a hand? And so every year as a church, for about the last seven or eight years, we have a group of, of people who feel a call towards church leadership come and engage, immerse themselves in the life of our church. And we train them up for ministry, and then we send them out to go and to lead and to do ministry, whether it's here in Canada, locally, uh, across our nation, or overseas. Some have even gone. And so that's one of the ways that we engage in multiplication, multiplication of leaders. Another is in the multiplication of campuses and services, we want to make as much space as possible for people to come and to experience Jesus. That's why we launched the 6 p.m. service a few weeks ago, and we talked a lot about that coming to that place. You might not know this, but there's about 150 people already who are gathering in the evenings to worship and to grow in their faith. That's so beautiful. It's such a vibrant expression of our church. This, this vision for multiplication and making space for more people is even why we planted um, Rail City Campus a couple of years ago. In Port Moody, we have a campus. Do you know there's over 200 people who are gathering there weekly to worship and to grow in their faith? And we're seeing many get baptized and come to faith. In January, we're going to two services in, uh, in Port Moody which again, is just so exciting, seeing the growth that's happening over there. This, this vision for multiplication is, is also why we plan to, in the next 16 to 24 months, we want to plant our next local campus. And we don't know if that's going to be, where it's going to be exactly, what city, and we don't even know exactly which leader is going to be the point leader on that. But we're just starting to pray and to plan and to look ahead to what God might want to do because we want to create space where everyone in the Tri-Cities can hear the message, the good news of the gospel. Amen? Okay, I just want to talk quickly about global. 
One of the things that sets CA Church apart is the amazing work we do overseas. And uh, maybe you're here right now and you're really passionate about global missions and you're like, why have you not talked about that so far this morning? Well, that's because in November, we're actually going to take an entire service to talk about all the global outreach that we're doing and what God's doing through our global partners. So that's coming up in a few weeks. But I do want to touch on a few uh, really cool things that are happening overseas. One of the things you might not know is that um, we have a deep partnership with, um, with people on the ground in Mexico. So I think it's been almost 20 years, like 15 to 20 years, we've been engaging and working with them on the ground to plant churches and, and care for orphans and do feed, feeding programs and uh, lots of great stuff. There have been many, many, many baptisms that have happened over the years um, in Mexico. There's actually a team right now. They just arrived last night in Mexico, a group from our church, and Town Center is sending another group at one of our other campuses. In about two weeks, they're going over um, to Mexico to continue the work of God overseas. <clears throat> we also do a lot of work in Mexico. There's an orphanage that we helped to start, and a bunch of our youth were able to go there on spring break, and it was just a beautiful experience for them to see God at work in the Philippines. And then last spring, Pastor Marty and Pastor David went to the Middle East and, uh, and a group of others from our church as well, Carlin and a few others, were able to be on that team. And they built a, a safe house for, um, for pastors to come in. It's very dangerous to be a Christian, especially a Christian leader in the Middle East. And so a safe house for them to come and to worship and to get educated and to, to just escape their kind of day-to-day. And then also they were able to almost run a bit of a Bible college for about a week and train up the, the pastors of the underground church in Bible and theology and some of those things. So that's just a little bit. We're going to talk a lot more about that in November. But there is so much going on, not just locally, but also globally through our global partners. We want to be a people who are joining in Jesus' mission, actively joining him in what he's doing on the earth. Okay, as we close, here's what I want to do. I want to take a few moments of just quiet. You know, we have, we have zoned out. We've, we've talked kind of personally, but then we went up and talked about, as a church, these things we want to do locally. We've, we talk globally. I want to zero back in and just talk about what it, what it looks like for us personally. And so I just want to create a little bit of space. And so if you're comfortable, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? And in these next few moments, I just want you to ask this question of the Lord. What would it look like for me to engage in your mission? Like, what would it look like for me to partner with you in the redemptive work you're doing on the earth? Maybe for some, it's a friend that would come to mind that you need to be intentional with, that you can invite to your table. Maybe someone you can invite to Alpha. Maybe it has to do with the refugees. Helping people who are new to Canada to settle well. Maybe it's engaging in one of the ministries of our church, or maybe it's, maybe it's just looking for needs in your own neighborhood. I'm just gonna create a bit of space for you to ask the Lord, what does it look like for me? Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.